Hi everyone, this is Brandon with a quick word before the podcast. This holiday season, if you're planning to donate to any nonprofits, please consider supporting Glass Tire's annual fund. All of the money we raise goes straight back into our reporting on Texas artists, galleries, museums, and more. If you'd like to make a one-time donation or become a sustaining monthly supporter, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. One more time, that's glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's Art Dirt. This is a glass tire uh, podcast where we discuss, as we say, topical art topics uh, every other week. I am Christina Reese. And I'm Brandon Zeck. So we're coming on Christmas. It's it's the 18th as we're recording this. This will go out on the 20th. Um, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) We're going to talk about some Christmas stuff. We're going to talk about holiday uh, art, Christmas art, art, (laughs) Christmas in art, holidays in art, holiday themes as embraced by or (laughs) lampooned by or shown by artists' art. Um, I, you know, I, I like this because Christmas is, and this is such a weird year, we're recording this in 2020. You know, a lot of people are almost skipping Christmas altogether this year, um, and some people are refusing to do so, and some people are making up for it. We were actually, some of us were together last night, the last hire staff, uh, outdoors, socially distanced, but we were talking about compensation, people compensating for um, not getting to have Christmas and some of the kind of over-the-top stuff people were doing to make up for the fact that they're not having a regular Christmas. But I wanted to think that there would be just an explosion of Christmas lights all over Houston and that, you know, there would be more of them (laughs) in that compensation thing. But that's sort of an aside. So one of the things is uh, this morning you texted me the story about the Vatican Nativity 2020. Oh, yeah. I I don't know if I've ever seen a story or seen images of the Vatican Nativity scene. It totally makes sense that the Vatican would put out a nativity scene for the season. I don't know how traditional it is. I imagine it's probably partly on the whim of the Pope, whether uh, how traditional or non-traditional it is. But this year's is a weird one. It's so funny. You sent that text and I clicked on and it was a hyper allergic link. And I clicked on it and I was like, I was just like, you. I was like, I need way more pictures. So of course I went on (laughs) online and Googled as many pictures as I could find. And I was on websites like even like the Daily Mail, just trying to see more pictures of this thing. You know, not surprisingly, because it's so bonkers. So it's ceramics. And these were giant ceramics that were created from the mid to late 60s or the mid 60s to early 70s by ceramics students and teachers in the what is a kind of the ceramics capital of Italy. Yeah, so all of these figures were made by students and teachers between 1965 and 1975 in Castelli-Aberzo, which is, as you said, a town that's known for its tradition of ceramics. Yeah, and these are bonkers. They're they're kind of futurist, space, sci-fi, but very simple. And, you know, they've got a bit of a... 
oh my God, I have a kind of a cubism feel. There's a little of a sort of Picasso in, in here. Um, there's a definitely an astronaut. I mean, people have lost their minds. People are calling it demonic and because it's outside of the norm. People want what they expect. And Christmas is one of these times where people's traditions are so key to their the way they feel about the holidays. So when all of these visitors are visiting Vatican City and seeing this bonkers, bonkers nativity scene, they're upset and disappointed. I think calling it demonic or satanic is going way too many steps too far because I think it's quite charming. And I see how it um, adheres to some of the um, the traditions uh, coming out of Abruzzo. And I think that... Um, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. So apparently, the nativity scene at the Vatican, at Vatican City is different every single year. It doesn't follow any one particular thing, as Brandon was saying. I think people just weren't ready for something that was kind of abstract and strange this year. They probably needed the um, the reassurance of a really traditional nativity scene. Well, yeah, Christina, the super kind of odd thing about this, in addition to well, just the form that these ceramics are since they're ceramics and they appear to be huge you know they're like large cylinders that are stacked on top of each other so they almost look like what am I thinking of like the little tyke like toy figures that were just like cylindrical bodies with a head on top oh play school yeah like the play school but if you look at you know Mary and Joseph they're pretty traditional things things considered like Mary has her blue uh, habit on and it's decorated with stars and Joseph has his beard and his walking stick and, and hair that is fantastically rendered um, just like big long strips of ceramic that have been laid on top of this dome. And even the angel behind them is pretty traditional. But then at the side of this uh, scene is a moon man and someone who looks a lot like Darth Vader. And I have to say, there's the, the Darth Vader comparison is apparently a big part of this conversation. But the Moon Man outfit looks so much like the Star Wars uh, Episode Four: A New Hope pilot uniform. And I think it was added to the scene right after the moon landing. And, you know, he's a little pilot man holding a little moon. And it's hilarious. And it's like, why would you add this just to a normal nativity scene? And it was made before Star Wars. It's just so weird. I can't believe there are like just a ton of conspiracy theories popping up around this yet. Of course, there will be within the next 24 to 48 hours. I think this was unveiled on, I think it was unveiled today, in fact. I think that's why it was so newsy today. It's Friday when we're recording. You know, I see a lot of cool stuff in these. It, again, I'd love to see more pictures, way more pictures. But I see some kind of Brancusi, and I see some H.R. Giger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I see some Frank Lloyd Wright. I see so many kind of different elements that are quite kind of satisfying. The astronaut is crazy, and the Darth Vader character. I really, but I think they're incredibly charming. We looked at a lot of our Christmas content that we've run over the past years, including probably more of it in recent years, but you did a great post on nativity scenes. Two of my favorite things I looked at in going back over our holiday content, one of them was that one. You did a really great post on all these different kinds of nativity scenes that are available to people for purchase. Um, There's so many and they're all so horrible. Oh my God. Some of them are great. They're so horrible. They're great. Um, and some of them are incredibly expensive. I mean, you have like a $23,000 nativity scene on that news post. We'll put all these in kind of the reading list below this uh, podcast and the 
body of it so you can click on some of these. And another thing that I really liked was was the snow and ice. But back to nativity. So it seems to me like Christmas is so visual and on our associations with all these visuals that we grew up with. And so every kind of family or every family unit or every kind of person ends up kind of growing up with their own traditions. And every family is kind of different. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of esoterica kind of involved in why something sort of makes the cut or why it doesn't. And we had a nativity scene that my grandmother, Bubby, uh, did. It was ceramic. It was really beautiful. It was quite traditional. I'm not going to get to see it this year, which is a really strange thing. I normally get to see it at least once a year. Is there anything near and dear to you growing up, a visual association with Christmas, that if it's not part of your Christmas, you're like, where's where's this thing? This is missing. Like, I love accessories and accoutrements and that kind of thing. And when I was a kid, you know, bringing out the ornaments every year was like this big thing because it's like I got an ornament once a year and that was like, you know, the Christmas tradition thing. You know, there was the like the sparkly figure skater. There was like the, the army man. There was all the stuff that's just like... The details were really good. I should have known I was going to go into art history and art criticism at that point because it's just, you know, the details of it, it was mass produced, but it didn't matter. It was just that they were individually so good. And it's like my Christmas and my holiday wasn't complete unless I had those. I also loved all of the, you know, we just had like a normal ceramic or faux ceramic mass produced nativity scene. But you know, it had the baby that like came, it was a separate part from the manger. And I did love the details and like playing around. It was almost like action figures in a way. Um, but then also my, my grandmother painted and did, you know, almost a little kind of like whimsical kind of Germanic inspired paintings and she would paint ornaments. So it was always, you know, normally my family got one of those from her once a year. And it was kind of this, maybe like a lot of people, my holiday was like a combination of the, the horrible mass produced stuff. I might still think is really good, but definitely was really good back then. And you know, the odd kind of occasional homemade thing here and there. Yeah. I, that sounds about right. And I, and I'd be surprised if a lot of people don't have a kind of a similar experience, obviously with different objects, but, um, the ornaments are a big deal. And, and you do find, you know, in kind of the name of, I guess a love of kitsch, you've got people who will have Christmas decorations or ornaments or lights up all year long. I mean, they, and people just so unabashedly love Christmas too, that they're just like, I just want these lights up. I'm just going to keep these lights up (laughs) all year. It's like, that's fine. I'll say this, the whole idea of taking a sort of art uh, slant on Christmas, which can include the negative as well as the positive. Like when I was a kid, there was no negativity. Like there was no marketable negativity around Christmas. And I wasn't aware of very much art, like art, art, proper art with a capital A that tended to go to dark places. But, um, you know, and outside of like Joni Mitchell's song River, which was released in 71, that's a sad Christmas song. It was like so strange to have a very sad Christmas song. Of course, that's a really beautiful one. The first time I really saw like somebody just go to town with this kind of Christmas motifs in a way that was supremely upsetting was Paul McCarthy in 1997, his Whitney (laughs) Biennial. He did the thing called Santa Chocolate Shop, which is just 
hor- it's horrifying. And I saw the whole installation at Loring Augustine in 2001. I didn't know what I really walked into. I mean, I knew I liked Paul McCarthy, but I'd never seen this big set, which, you know, is built and then turned on its side. And then there's these huge video projections of what was what actually took place in that set at an earlier date. And it is horrific. I mean, it's body fluids and it's it's horror. It's got a real Texas Chainsaw massacre feel to it it's very um sleazy and um the kind of i guess sacrilege that you know that an artist is going to attack christmas in that way was an interesting i was old enough by then to be like yeah I, i get this um i understand the horror of christmas at times well you know i think it's interesting for that experience to be with paul mccarthy for you to have that kind of be the first visceral anti holiday thing because I feel like if it were anyone else doing that, um, it, it wouldn't be as successful. He's definitely like shock jock. There's no uh, there's no getting around the fact that he's shock jock. But he's shock jock while also having some substance as opposed to just being shock jock and having that be the art. Because a lot of times that stuff may work for 30 seconds, but then it falls flat on its face. Like not to get too diverted uh, from the holiday topic, but the first piece of art I ever experienced by him was um, the video. I think it's titled painter. Mm -hmm, And I I feel like I've even mentioned it before on this podcast or in a video that we've done because it it just struck me in that it's, it's critiquing abstract expressionism and like the role of the macho male artist. And it's doing so in a very shock jock way that is, aggressive, but at the same time, it has a good substance. So it's interesting that that was your first experience with work that like took that dark turn because it's, it's a, it's something that's kind of hard to top in that regard. I think some reassessments of him have been like, well, he's kind of a one trick pony or this has gotten real gimmicky and he's more predictable now. That may or may not be true. I've got to say that you're right. There is some substance in that earlier McCarthy work before anyone else is doing anything quite like it. I mean, he really is tapping into some kind of very strange, frightened, visceral reaction by a viewer where it's recognizable, but it's not something that you'd ever personally put your finger on before. And in that sense, there's a, almost a David Lynch kind of quality to his, some of these earlier things. And I think he's continued to try to capture that over and over. And I think that he's also continued to just enjoy thumbing his nose at the art world by making gigantic, you know, Christmas tree butt plugs. But, yeah. um, but some of those earlier videos really, I don't know how much, how much kind of horror they still carry or if I walked into Santa chocolate shop today, how I would respond to it. But at some point you just realize you, you reach a point in adulthood where you realize that there's no topic or subject that should, that should be off, off limits for an artist. Christmas is just one of many <laughs> and it's kind of, kind of like no, no topic should be off limits for a comedian. If handled by the right person, if it's in the right hands, uh, and that person can do the trick, whatever the magic trick is that makes it make sense to a viewer, then I think that, uh, you know, Christmas is up for criticism, of course. And now, of course, it's almost way too politically correct to just criticize Christmas, you know? It's like, oh, it's a capitalist, you know, it's just a, it's an orgy of consumerism and blah, blah, blah. Well, we may be on the same page here. I feel like I generally tend to really respond to holiday and Christmas work. It's probably one of the reasons that I've done so many of these like photo essay things for glass tire once the holidays come around. But I I feel like part of the reason it really attracts me is because artists making work about this holiday, it's like there's, there's 
basically no way to do it without it being kitschy. Like if they take it seriously, it's still kitschy and that it doesn't undercut this kind of the seriousness of their work, like the Paul McCarthy thing, but it's still kitschy no matter, no matter what, like the Santa chocolate shop while being grotesque and smart and, and repulsive is still kitschy. Oh yeah. uh, Similarly, like there's work that uses humor and is really uh, interesting and, and conceptually interesting and things like, like the, uh, what the Fischl and Weiss snowman and it's, it's a snowman that's basically in a freezer. Um, it was installed for a while in the sculpture garden at MoMA. So, you know, it's the whole idea is that if this freezer were to malfunction or turn off, this artwork would just melt. That's the whole, it's very conceptual, but it's, it's kitschy cause it's just, it's a snowman. Uh, the work isn't successful without the imagery of Christmas or of the holidays and the imagery itself is just inherently kitschy. So then the work is just kind of imbued with that no matter how they treat it, no matter what they do with it. I'm also thinking of things like Dallas artist, Brian Jones's crappity elves. Like there are elves that are in stupid situations or smoking cigarettes or whatever, and they're ugly and they're grotesque. But they're like elves and they have like mistletoe adornments on them. So it's it's kitschy, but it works. Yeah, yeah. I think about the, these beautiful paintings. Uh, Francesca Fuchs here in Houston, just just stellar, stellar artist, a great painter. And she has a series of Christmas tree paintings. They're really beautiful. I mean, they're kind of one of her kind of signature series. And um, I've always wanted one of those Christmas trees. But I like what she's... To me, she's she's um, acknowledging a couple of different pieces of tension that that kind of exist in the whole idea. We bring this kitschy thing into our own house every year. It sits in the middle of our living room, and for a month, it, it doesn't really matter what the rest of your house looks like <laughs> or what your taste is. You're gonna be doing this thing, and it's this it's this monolithic, strange thing that you put in your house, and then you leave it, and to have a painting. And to put that up on the wall, you wouldn't be taking that off of your wall on January 1st. You'd be leaving that up year-round. So you end up with a Christmas tree in your house year-round if you have one of these paintings. And there's something sort of, I like the levels of sort of irony and sort of winkingness to it. On top of it being a beautiful painting, it's also really kind of a very interesting piece of conceptual art in that regard. Yeah, I love those pieces too. Well, that that brings me to a question, Christina. Do you have any Christmas art and or should you take Christmas art or holiday art down? <laughs> I would if I had one of those Christmas trees, I would put it in a in a place of pride and leave it up all the time. Uh, I don't have any this year because of where I'm living in an apartment I haven't lived in for that long and I don't have any of my Christmas stuff with me I'm just skipping it all together I haven't even thought about it normally I have a little kind of ceramic Christmas tree that lights up um but gosh we grew up with so many great things and they're all at my mom's house all of our cool ornaments all of our our nativity all of our stuff is it moms, but not my brother, Brian, who has three kids, um, who are all young, you know, they've started all their own traditions. For me, the main thing was, was watching certain things on TV, the Rankin and Bass Christmas specials was a big deal. And I'll do that again this year. I mean, I'm, I've got to do that at some point. Um, <laughs> it's like an obligation. It's just a thing that I have to do, but 
Um, but I was very, very taken with the visuals of Christmas from a young age on. And of course it's just Pavlovian stuff for children. It's like as soon as the red and the green and the lights and the trees and the, and of course Christmas is so, it hits all of your senses. It's, you know, it's see, hear, smell, touch, taste. It's everything. It's not just the visuals. It's the music and all the sounds. It's the food and, you know, all this kind of stuff that we eat around that time. It's, um, the smell of the Christmas tree in your house is amazing. That's the one thing that I almost caved to this year was just to bring home a tree because I love the I love the smell. Yeah. Do you leave anything up? Do you have any? You have a lot of you have a lot of art. Do you have any Christmas themed thing? I do have a couple Christmas themed holiday themed things that have kind of inadvertently been left up year round. Um, I have like a uh, painting by a self-taught, I guess, or folk artist named Eddie B. I have no clue anything about him. I just found this at like a little shop and it's a horrible, fantastic painting of Santa that gets left up. I, uh, one of Elaine Bradford's, uh, the Houston artist, Elaine Bradford, one of her wreaths, which, you know, I mean, it's technically a wreath, but also it's like decorated with uh, lobsters and things like that. So it's not really holiday, even though it kind of is holiday. Um, I have some other things that I kind of cycle out and will put up to make the house feel a little Christmassy or a little holiday. I'm kind of back and forth. I kind of feel the same as you. Like if I had a really fantastic, wonderful, huge Christmas piece like Francesca's Fuchs's Christmas tree, I would that would go up and stay up year round in a place of prominence. Other than that, it's a lot of little knickknack stuff. I've always been like a little knickknack and detailed person. I mean, go back to the story about the ornaments. So it's almost kind of the same deal. I, I might almost be not to get too psychological, but I almost might be like reverting to that in a way of like bringing out that excitement again, whenever I get to unpack some of this, some of these Christmas art knickknack tchotchke type things, uh, whenever, November, December comes around. I think I was thinking about the leaning into the kitchenness and leaning into, I was thinking about Chuck Ramirez's Christmas trees, all those colored Christmas trees and the McNays put them up. I, I don't know if they're doing it this year. They've put them up, I think more than once um, since they had the retrospective of, of his work a few years ago, but those are all colored trees that, you know, evoke the kind of the flocked trees of yesteryear, all different colors, all different lights. And he's really, really just going with it. Just kind of window dressing sort of, Oh, I gotta say, Brandon, I, I've lived in New York city in the past, but I had not, for whatever reason, had not really bothered to just walk past all the windows. And in 2016, I was back up there and I was with a really my best friend. And we decided we walked 20 miles in one day, actually, to look at all, all, and we did a lot of stuff that day, but we were up, you know, near Rockefeller Center and everything else, but we walked by every single major window display yeah. in New York, and it was particularly good that year. I mean, what a f great year, and Barney still existed, by the way, but <laughs> I mean, to see the amount of work and detail that goes into those windows, but I like it that Chuck, you know, Chuck Ramirez came from this kind of uh, industrial design and commercial design world for for H-E-B and, uh, and he brought that into his work and that really shows in the Christmas trees. And I was just thinking when I was talking about Francesca's paintings and talking about having stuff year round, it's like, what if you had a Chuck Ramirez Christmas tree? Would you just leave it up year round in your house? Cause it's art. Um, 
It'd be tempting. I feel like that's almost it's it's seasonal enough. It's explicitly seasonal. So I feel like it's almost like, you know, that's you better like it because that's your Christmas tree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, it's it's like you, you'd get it down from the attic or from your storage or from wherever, just like you would your uh, your fake Christmas tree every year. It's funny what 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 is considered, you know, year in and year out, either sort of tacky or up to date or trendy or cool or. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you leave a little bit of Christmas stuff up year round, you're tacky. But if you leave an entire house full of Christmas stuff up year round, you're just eccentric and fun and thematic. <laughs> yeah, there's that. But there's also, so I was rereading uh, Lon Taylor, who died a couple of years ago, just a treasure, a Texas treasure. Um, he, we would rerun his columns that he was doing for the Big Ben Sentinel, and it was a column that he also read out loud on... Um, Marfa Public Radio, right? On Marfa Public Radio, yeah. And he did one uh, about his Christmas tree, his the first Christmas tree he really remembers. And he's describing the, um, I don't even know. See, Brandon, you're so young. I don't even know. I guess you've seen these, but these, they're kind of like little silver strands of. Oh, tinsel. Yeah. The tinsel that you drape over. That you drape over. And I was thinking, God, I haven't seen that stuff in years and years and years. And I associate it with, I mean, it wasn't even, um, in vogue when I was a child, it was already kind of out of date. So you've seen it. (laughs) Oh yeah. I I vaguely recall, I don't know if it's some familial story or what the deal is, but I vaguely recall the story of a cat eating some off a tree and then there being tinseled poop in the litter box. Well, thank God it was just tinseled poop and not a dead cat. (laughs) Um, yeah. So he, he has a picture. There's a picture of his Christmas tree. It's black and white picture of his Christmas tree in the 1940s. Um, and you can see that the lights are really big and that there's a lot of that drippy silver stuff on it. And of course those, they were huge lights back in the day, back in the early seventies. Um, when I was little, 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 and I don't remember these Christmases very well, but I know that our tree lights were giant (laughs) and got a lot smaller. I think they jumped to the smaller kind by the late seventies, which are now sort of, you know, just the, the norm. But, um, I like how I like the light thing. I like I like Christmas lights a lot, and I never blame anyone for leaving their lights up a little bit too long. And I take lots of long walks, and I do like seeing because it gets dark by five thirty, five forty-five. I've been able to see quite a few Christmas lights, but I wouldn't mind, given the year that we've had, if they if they want to leave them up a little bit longer, I wouldn't be giving them the side eye. <laughs> So we're going to, like I said, we'll leave a reading list, but I rewatched our Snow and Ice video, which we recorded in the middle of the summer of not this last summer, but the summer before. It wasn't particularly hot summer. It seemed like it was a good one, but I really enjoyed revisiting that. And there's some Christmas-ish kind of stuff or a Christmas feel to some of those if you really want to look at that again. Oh, Definitely. Just because it's snow, just because it's snow and ice. Yeah, and it's a che- it's a pretty cheerful video. And then also, again, the nativity thing. I really encourage you to click on that that Brandon put together. It's a very amusing. Um, but we go into we've also recorded some art darts about how to give the gift of art for Christmas. Um, if you're still trying to figure that out, you could give that a listen, uh, favorite museum stores. Some museum stores are open. Some of course are not, but some are, um, we've got top five holiday songs. We have, um, we have unconventional Christmas movies, uh, 
Neil Farso and I did that in 2018. So not the not the ones that you would normally think of. Something a little bit outside the realm. And of course, Neil is a perfect person to record that with. <laughs> yeah, his his knowledge of cinema being deep and strong. Well, and then Christopher Blay and Robert Hodge also did the top five. This was just last year. They did the top five uh, hip hop. Christmas or holiday songs. That's right. And you know, I can't believe that was a year ago. I mean, and in some ways it feels like it was last month. And in some ways it feels like it was 10 years ago as everything is these days. But yeah, that's what, that's a, that's a great one. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll get these things linked up, but we're just thinking about, you know, the visual aspects of Christmas, especially as we're mostly inside and looking at our screens, but everyone please be safe and whatever your Christmas looks like, um, or whatever your holiday looks like. Um, happy holidays for from us at Glass Tire. And uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. See some Christmas art. Yeah, go see some Christmas art. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>